Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Sam Gordon, who's the director of Australian Property Scout. We have a chat to him about how he got his start in investing in property at 19 years old, the types of properties that he's purchased since then to get to 18 total properties as well. We have a chat to him about the foundational properties and the Trident method that he's employed for himself and his clients. That's a combination of bread and butter properties with growth potential, development projects and some high yielding cash flow type properties as well. And he shares some great advice about how to seek out these types of properties and what to look for if you're looking for a buyer's agent to help you along the way. It's a great interview that goes all the way from the Great Wall to rabbits to soccer and the portfolio that he's built today. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Here is Sam. Sam Gordon, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Mike, thanks very much, mate. Glad to be here. Pleasure to have you on, Sam. Now, for those who haven't had the pleasure, can you let us know who you are and what you specialise in? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, my name is Sam Gordon. I'm, uh, I'm the director of Australian Property Scout. Uh, we're a nationwide buyers agency uh, based here in Sydney, uh, specialising in uh, building strong portfolios through a healthy balance of uh, high cash flow deals, high um, growth deals, and uh, manufactured equity deals like small developments. We kind of uh, we kind of service serves our clients through through three different mediums to um, build what we believe is really strong portfolios. That's good. And I think uh, people are obviously listening intently with that <laughs> intro. And yeah. good name too, Australian Property Scout. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Strong title. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What posters were on the bedroom wall going up? <laughs> um, I was a pretty big sporting fan. Uh, I especially loved my soccer. I was, I was a half-decent soccer player back in the day. and uh, So for me, it was kind of soccer and, and boxing. So with soccer, it was probably uh, Stephen Gerrard, the uh, the captain of, of Liverpool Football Club over in England. Yeah. Um, him and there's another fellow called uh, Gennaro Gattuso. He was, a, he was an Italian centre mid, man. He, he was crazy they called him um in italian ringio which meant the growler and he just like, would go around like run around like a beast and he was this crazy <laughs> player um he won the he won the world cup with italy back in in 06 but uh yeah probably those two and then i was a big boxing fan so you know ali um frazier and and mike tyson were kind of my the guys that i, I loved to watch growing up they were uh, pretty pretty amazing athletes Two very different sports. I mean, boxing, you know, a very sort of um, working class, honest pursuit where you sort of get punched around a ring pretending (laughs) you're not hurt. Soccer, a bit sort of prancing around pretending you're hurt when you're actually not. How do you reconcile those two? Um, maybe if you saw me play when I was younger, you'd maybe see why I, uh, <laughs> maybe my, my two styles kind of, maybe the boxing came a little bit more into the soccer side of the thing. I was a, I was more of an athletic sort of player than a, uh, kind of, as you say, the, you know, technical prancing around sort of player. I, I love to kind of, I was a centimeter, I played box to box and I love to tackle and score and, and kind of, I, I wasn't one to lay on the ground and, and carry on, we'll put it that way. <laughs> That's good. That's my one complaint with soccer. I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail for this anyway, but I'm glad to hear. Yeah. What about, what about property? How did you get started and what was your first investment, Sam? Yeah, so um, look, I left school pretty young and, and kind of worked, worked pretty hard in there. And when I was about 18, um, I'd saved up about 20 grand. And uh, mate, I was a, a bit of a car nut back then, you know, the Jap cars, I think back in the Fast and Furious days. Um, and I loved my Toyota Supras and, and I desperately wanted one. And my old boy was a mechanic by trade and uh, he kept kind of paying out all the different cars I was looking at. He goes, mate, it's just give me a money pit, just give me a money pit. And then... 
like property had always kind of been on my mind, but I didn't really know how to go about it. And then when I started saving up more and more and he kept talking me out of buying a car, he, um, he kind of put me on the course of what, you know, why don't you look at an investment? And that's when I was kind of looking, um, like I grew up in the Southern Highlands. So I was looking down there, but then I liked the idea of, of Wollongong, uh, which is about an hour and a, a little bit over an hour south of Sydney on, on the coast there and satellite city there and big university town and, and quite good industry and stuff. So I was, I looked, a lot in that area and um yeah that's when i kind of i put a lot of time into sourcing um and came up with it it was a two-bedroom unit right behind the um uh, right behind the town center in there the city center and yeah i picked i got it actually um kind of before before it hit the market because i'd been researching and, and connecting with so many different real estate agents and so uh, yeah that was a, it was a two-bed unit for uh, 275,000. 275k yep. in the gong. In the gong, mate. <laughs> now, if you've got a hundred of them for sale at the moment, I'd be picking those up. How, how did you do out of it? I actually did pretty well. So, um, to tell you the truth, it was probably the only really negatively geared property I ever bought. I mean, I bought, I bought it for myself. I, um, I kind of saved very hard, like as hard as I could. I worked multiple jobs growing up to try and save myself to get to this point. And um, I bought it for myself. I lived in it, but I didn't know anything about strata rates, um, you know, body corp fees and all the rest of sort of stuff. And that smashed me. And uh, I wasn't making very much money. I, I think at the time when I bought that, I was clearing about 580 bucks a week. So I think actually from, from memory, I think my strata bill every quarter was 570 bucks. So uh, <laughs> kind of, Ouch. yeah, it was, it was a big hit, but um but yeah, no, it, it was good. I ended up selling it. It stalled me because of the cash flows. Um, when I think I hit about property number five or six, seven maybe, I think it was seven actually, it stalled me there and uh, I kind of had to make a call what to do with it. And thankfully, Sydney had seen some some quite massive growth and uh, you know, I'd force a bit of value on it. I couldn't, you know, I'd done a renovation. I couldn't force any more value for the rents or the or the growth. So I uh, decided to sell it down there. And so I paid 275. The reno would have cost me maybe four grand and I sold it for 525. So I went pretty close to doubling, not quite there, but but pretty close. Beautiful. Mm. What, sort of, what sort of time period are we talking? I bought it. Oh, geez, man, he's making me feel old. But I, I bought it at the at the end of '09, um, yeah. so uh, it was November '09, and I think I sold it. I actually I got quite lucky in in terms of timing when I sold it because I sold it right at the peak of Sydney in July 2017, right at the right at the top of it. And uh, so uh, so yeah, I, I did, so it was yeah whatever that is, just under eight years. I held that eight years. Yep. Yeah, not not bad work. Mm. And and why why was that one holding you back? Was it just the fact that it um, it was costing you a little bit of money to hold on to, or was it just the banks were only going to lend you a certain amount extra no matter what? Yeah, well, look, it was it was a case of it was like it was negative cash flow, right? Like ne- negatively geared. It was you know those body. Co- I think at the time after the rent, I was renting for about three eighty a week. I'd refinance a bit of capital out so I could put into other deals, and it was just. It just it just killed my borrowing capacity compared to other deals that I'd bought, and it kind of it, it taught me some really good lessons though. Um, in that, oh, it, pretty much the yield just was not good enough for me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was yeah it, it was good being able to being able to sell that down and put that into other deals. It was it taught me a lot and and what to look for going forward. And pretty much when it, after I sold it, my portfolio kind of exploded in the kind of uh, I guess two and a half years after because it, it really opened my eyes up to what could be done, what should be done. So. So at what point did you stop lamenting the missed Supra? 
I mean, they're a modern day classic these days, mate. They've just made well, a remake of it. Yeah, they have. They have. And um, I'm, I'm sure for a time you were thinking, especially when you're getting these 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 quarterly strata fees, yeah. thinking I should have bought that bloody super. <laughs> oh man, I, I I still kind of regret it. I mean, you can go out and buy them now for for pretty cheap, but uh, they're a money pit, man. And I just I don't know. Maybe maybe when I've kind of hung the boots up or something, I might uh, I might go and buy one. But I, for now, like I'm I'm very. I guess savvy with what I buy and and um, yeah, so like I oh, you know I've got it, I've got a Triton Ute now, mate. Like I bought that. Um, I think it was about two. Years no ago. need to big note yourself. No, no, it's, it's not an expensive Ute. But what I mean is like it's it doesn't cost me anything to run, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> trust me, it's it's not like a top of the line bloody Ranger or something like that. Like it's you know I always try and go budget where I can and uh, you know in terms of what I was after, it kind of suited me perfectly. But no, nah, in terms of the Super Mate, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever buy one, but <laughs> I'm obviously giving you a bit of chin music because you you mentioned you've listened to episodes before, yes. and your favourite ones are the ones where you know give people a bit of a clip over the years. Um, I do but, love it. <laughs> but it was a a bit of a serious question. I mean, obviously you 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 were working multiple jobs for five eighty a week. You you were grafting pretty hard. You you went into a property. It was costing you more than what you thought. Yep. I'm wondering where was that sort of point for you where you had that sort of uh, that sort of light bulb moment to say oh look this thing is a bit of a pain in the backside to hold on to but if i sell it now i will have made 50 or 100 grand was can you sort of think of a time where you thought this property game this is what it's all about yeah i think i had when, when after i did the renovation uh so after i did the renovation which was just before i moved out of it and refinanced capital out of the deal so i'd had a little bit of growth had the had the had the reval come come back positively from the Renault as well, and when I was able to pull that equity out and put into another deal, that kind of gave me you know a bit of a light bulb moment with property in how you can leverage and, and kind of go more. Um, I think just kind of the longer I held on to it, and the more that the banks kind of kept going back to me, going, "Well, this is this is your Achilles heel essentially of the portfolio," and uh, yeah, it was. It was good in the sense that it did have that bit of growth initially, but then by the time I sold it, um, like even after, the, the beauty of it was that I'd lived in it for a little bit. So uh, by the time I'd moved into my uh, next principal place, principal place of residence, I think I'd had it for about three and a half, four years as my principal place. So the um, the capital gains I had to pay was very minimal on it. So I think I cleared over two hundred grand on that when I when I did sell it, uh, and, and I rolled that into a into another. Uh, that was into a duplex deal. The next one I rolled into, which is probably my best deal uh, to date. Nice, and I I definitely want to dive into that. But let's go let's go back a little bit okay. further. Now I don't know if you remember those um, old Telstra ads where there was this bumbling father sort of trying to help his son with his homework. With the uh, you know why did they create the the what was it, the Great Wall of China? And he said to keep the rabbits out. Now that's all I really know about rabbits is you need to keep them out, but when you were sort of coming up and earning your five eighty a week, you were working somehow in a business that kept the rabbits in. Now I want to know what was that about, and and hopefully also give you some advice not to take that to Shark Tank. I think you'd be eaten alive in that one. No, I um, look. I grew up. I grew up on a rabbit farm. So so I grew up on a farm down in the Southern Highlands, and. Uh, my old boy, he was a mechanic by trade, and then he, he was a he was a police officer after that. And then when when he left, um, you know, left the cops, he he moved down to the Highlands with my mum, and they bought this this old rabbit farm. And being a mechanic, 
he was able to build his own mill because they, they didn't have very much money. So he built his own mill from all these different um, parts and, you know, pretty much scrapped together all these different things to build his own mill and uh, actually made it into a pretty productive little thing. So by the time I left school, because uh, I used to trek from the Highlands up into Sydney every day, it was about two and a half hours each way. Um, that was that was for soccer, for, for the sports high. And, um, yeah, when I kind of... Uh, by the time I kind of hit the HSC years, you know, started year 11, it was too much for me. So then when I left, it was, I think, about a third of the way through the year. So the logical thing for me to do was just, look, I'll just work in the family biz, make some money, and then maybe next year I'll go and get a trade. Um, and I just kind of got stuck in there because the pay was a lot better than a lot of my mates were on um, as, as apprentices. And yeah. uh, I started seeing, you know, that, you know, I was still living at home, you know, 16, 17 years old and stuff. And I was, I was seeing that bank account growing pretty healthily. And uh, I guess it was a little bit addictive to, to kind of stay in, stay in that role there. But <laughs> the rabbit game. The rabbit you know, game. <laughs> you, you don't hear a lot about the rabbit game, but you, you, you cut your teeth in the rabbit game. I I that's a nice thing to have on the resume, no matter sort of what sort of dizzying heights of property success you get to. So, so you obviously you, you, you left school before finishing the HSC and, you know, you were working in the rabbit game. Um, what made you sort of look to, to property? What, what, what sort of had you have your, you know, head screwed on to the point where you wanted to do something with that money? What, what, where'd that come from and, and what were you sort of, what was your goal? What were you trying to do? Look, I think I'd always heard, you know, you, you always hear about the people who the wealthiest people in the world typically come from real estate right it's yeah you know you look at your harry trigger boss and stuff like that like dudes that have had so much success and created so much wealth and i guess i've always been someone that's uh kind of loved the idea of of kind of setting myself up and, and being wealthy and and not having a problem i guess working hard to get there and and i saw my parents parents had worked very hard but i you know i, I when they i think they bought their first one in the mid 70s or something this was in sutherland shire a little bit south of sydney and they paid i think they paid it was something like twenty nine thousand for it and they literally doubled their money in three years and it just that, that that that's what they sold to then come down and buy their rabbit farm and i just remember that in my mind along with you know, these, these people like Harry Triggerboff and stuff who had created so much wealth and were just, you know, essentially, you know, Harry Triggerboff is tens of billionaire. And it's just, I guess that is what always kind of sat in my mind as, um, you know, kind of pushing me forward, you know, properties of the vehicle and, and, and you know, I just got to figure out how to implement it, you know, in the correct way. And I guess starting out, I just thought, oh, you just buy something and it doubles, you know, that's <laughs> a lot of people yeah, yeah. think when you start. And it certainly doesn't happen like that. It, it takes a lot more you know, advanced strategies and, and uh, intelligent thinking to, to go on and intelligent action to get there. Um, but yeah, I guess that was the early, the early indicator. Let's, let's talk about the intelligent action. I, um, I guess I want to take the opportunity to speak to people that might be looking at um, trying to sort of get the money together to, to buy their first owner rock or their first investment property. Yep. How, how did you, you mentioned, you know, working multiple jobs, but what, how did you get that initial deposit and the money enough to, to actually pull the, the trigger and were there any sort of strategies that you employed that you could share with people? Um, look, I think the big thing, a lot of people spend almost everything they save, right? Or everything they make. And then they kind of go, oh, I don't have anything for savings. And I was like that. Like when I was, when I was 16, 17, like it was, it was very hard to kind of save enough. You know, even living at home, especially when you kind of are at the age when you can go out and start partying with friends. It's not hard to blow, you know, a couple hundred bucks in a night. And I think probably the biggest bit of advice I could have, if you still want to live that lifestyle, 
be prepared to work your butt off. Either either change it and, and start saving a bit more or get a second job and purely save what you make from the second job or third job. Like I I played um, I played semi-pro soccer from a pretty early age. You know, I signed my first pro contract at, at 16 and, and was getting paid and I was, I was saving that money. And then um, as soon as I hit 18, I went and got a bar job and worked. Like I was training three nights a week and a game on the weekend and I was working in the bars three nights a week and I was just saving everything I could. And that's essentially how I was able to... Um, I guess kind of save that deposit as well as, as well as still having, you know, still having the fun where I had to, but I, I knuckled down and, you know, did what was necessary to, I guess, to save that money. It's disappointing as it is for people to hear that the, <laughs> the true secret is, is hard work and discipline. I, I think it's it's true. And, and I, I wouldn't say that uh, I've got that same sort of uh, level of skill and discipline that you have, but I can remember training for from for events in the past and yep. counting calories and and it changed the way that i i looked at a beer um <laughs> it's a pretty sad story but i'd look at a beer and i think 150 calories you know like do i really need that I, i'm guessing that's a it's a similar sort of mindset when you're thinking look this is this is a night out but is it really worth $200 to me to go and get wanked when that's getting me close to the next level of getting the property? I mean, sometimes the answer is yes, right? Well, I mean, you've got to have your fun as well, you know, and, and I guess you're only young once. Um, and it, it really is the trade-off because I look back at a lot of my mates that they went and they traveled a lot in their early 20s and I, I didn't do that. You know, I, I had one overseas trip before I turned um, I think when I was 27 or 28, uh, I'd only had one overseas trip, and then I turned like I think I think I was 28, and I uh, I think I did ended up doing. So this is the thing I, I kind of built my portfolio to such a extent that it was actually paying me decent money, and I went on. I actually did 18 uh, 18 countries in 18 months. I think I travelled. I think I did essentially four months of travelling in about 18, and just was able to live it up because I had done the hard work early and, and it, you know, it kind of paid dividends in, in the, in the back end. And I guess it, it depends what you want. You know, you either want to take advantage of it early um, or, or look at it a little bit longer term and, and be able to have that, you know, a few years down the track instead. Bit of discipline, bit of patience, rake it in and then give your passport a hiding. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm just going to add Sam Gordon after that as, as a quote. You can have that one. Thanks. Man. Now, um, I, I do definitely want to talk about some of the, the good deals that, that you've done and you, you sort of touched on a duplex. But what about the mistakes that you made early on in the career and, and maybe even recently? Who, who knows? What, what are some of the things that you wish that you could have done um, and, and what, what are some of the key takeaways that you learned? Um, oh, look, probably what I, what I could have done better, like I probably could have gone a little bit harder earlier, um, you know, in terms of mistakes, that's, but see, it's, it's, it's a gift of hindsight, mate. You know, you, you think you're doing, and you think you're doing okay. And then you see something like Sydney boom and you're like, man, I wish I'd bought, you know, another three, four, five properties. Cause you, you know, you kind of, you're kind of doing doing deals for 350 um 400 and then you know within three four years they're kind of getting valued around seven 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 hundred seven fifty like you kind of wish you'd bought a few more of those yeah. um but yeah like I, I think in terms of mistakes quite honestly the only things i really the only mistake i really think i've made in terms of of investing would have been um maybe that first one in terms of i didn't know the cash flow so well i didn't realize how uh, detrimental it was going to be kind of on my lifestyle taking on a property that was you know essentially quite negatively geared in terms of how much I was making per week um, you know that, that's probably that's probably the biggest thing 
Talk to us about today. What what sort of properties are you investing in? And and I guess maybe that's a two part question. You've got what you're investing in for your clients and what you're investing in yourself. Yep. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a, if there's a difference because of the size of your portfolio and maybe your average client having having less. But talk us through that. Yeah, look, look, there definitely is, mate. I mean, when people come into me to start, it all depends where they're at already and different people obviously come from come from you know everyone's starting from a different point and what people do um, when they start out is very different from what I'm doing in my portfolio now and from what clients will do you know two three years down the track of their portfolios so look what I think is essential with um, people starting out is is I start with what I call bread and butter properties Um, these are these are we put them in a foundation. Essentially, it's building the foundations of your portfolio. And so what they typically are, we're buying in a growth market and we're buying in below market with strong cash flows. Uh, and you want to fill your portfolio with, say, at least three or four of those before you move on to the next phase because then you're doing accelerated strategies like high cash flow deals and small developments, but you've always got that foundation portfolio ticking over in the background. And I think that's key because you never know when – uh, when a market is finally going to get some some accelerated growth, and you don't want to miss out on that, but then at the same time you want to then go and do your accelerated deals, and um, you know it's something that I've kind of dubbed the with Australian Property Scout. What we what we do is we build that foundation portfolio and then move on to the next phase, which is called uh, the Trident Formula. And what the Trident Formula is, is essentially Trident, right? It's a, it's a triple headed spear. And so the first, what, what you have to look at first up is what are you kind of running out of next? Are you running out of capital or are you running out of cash flow? And that makes the next choice. And so the next choice, will, let's say let's say you're running out of capital. So you go and do a small development and you spin off. Like at the moment, we're doing deals for clients kind of in the in the range of about 560 to 580, uh, 560 to 580,000. And we're, we're kind of getting them valved back in the low sevens. And we're doing them in about nine or 10 months. Um, so that's you know, essentially 150,000 uh, we're kind of making, you know, for clients in quite a short time frame and then it's up to the clients whether they either decide to sell it or they keep it and rent it and refinance that capital back out roll it into a high cash flow deal uh, and then so they, they're kind of continually building the capital they're continually building the cash flow and then the third prong of the uh, of the Trident formula is is another foundation you know another bread and butter portfolio to throw into the foundation and it just it's continually building that asset base but always adding what you need next because Look, it doesn't matter how big you are, how much you make, how much you start with. Everyone runs out of one of two things first. It's either uh, capital or it's borrowing capacity. So you have to keep keep them, I guess, I guess, in balance and make and make sure you're not going to run out of one or the other. Because that's essentially what I did with with my portfolio, and I got to the, I hit that roadblock, um, and that's why I think. Uh, you know, I'm kind of, um, I guess, qualified enough to talk to people about this because I hit that roadblock and I realized what I had to do and that was sell down Wollongong. And, and what I did was I went and put it into the duplex, which had both. I, I think from that deal, I generated about $250,000 in equity and it was about 12 grand a year positive um, cash flow. So it was it was a massive boost to the portfolio and it, it, it kind of, that's, that's where it exploded. You know, I kind of went from uh, six properties when I was 27 uh, into the last two years of my accumulation before I retired from work and started this business, I went from six properties to 18. I've just settled on my 18th property. And, and that that is from learning what you need to do and overcoming that roadblock or, or not even overcoming the roadblock. Well, for, for me, yes, but looking forward enough that you see where it's coming and you beat it before you get there. You, you know, you kind of, you're always looking that one, two steps ahead to making sure you're for one, beating the banks, and then also, um, you know, not, not, not kind of beating yourself, always moving forward. I, I think that's key. Make sure you're always moving forward, not, not get stuck. 
Mate, that um, that's uh, that's some pretty impressive stuff there. <laughs> can we? Can we? I, I just made a couple of notes along the way. So so we'll come back to the bread and butter ones. But the, these deals that you you're getting for five sixty, five eighty. Yep. And then the low seven vowels. What are you actually doing to these properties? So for those, we're sourcing. Um, see, I, I have done small developments for myself um, since I was 20, uh, 22 years old. I did my first one. And it's in a very particular area of Sydney. Uh, and or New South Wales, actually, is a little bit out. It's a little bit out of Sydney, uh, about an hour, an hour out. And pretty much I have very good connections with the real estate agents in there because I've done uh, so many deals in that area. And... I get access to blocks before they get access to, you know, before they get released to the public. And my clients always get access to a few. And they're, for one, they're below market. So these, these are wholesale blocks. And then we're packaging them up with um, with wholesale build prices because that's the access I get from, again, doing large volume. And yep. that's where we're making the margin. The average person that goes out and does these deals might scrape them for six fifty, And, you know, we're doing them seventy dollars to $80,000 less. And that, that's where the big upside is in those deals. Mm. So, for someone that maybe is allergic to buyers agents, for example, <laughs> yeah. um, and and they're wanting to, to to do this sort of stuff, are you basically basically saying that it's impossible without those connections? That's really just the way that you can leverage a buyers agent to get access to these sorts of deals because of the volume. Look, I guess it depends how much time you've got. Um, if you're willing to go out there, look, I, I'd never say you have to have a buyers agent um, to to do it, but you have to have the time you have to find out where the margins are and then you have to build it mate those relationships take years to build um it just kind of depends on like i didn't get access to the deals of this quality back then it was it was the hard graft of, of doing it and i guess it depends on you know what, what you kind of are for you want to leverage someone else's abilities for essentially what's a minimal cost against return you know or do you, or you want to go out and try and try and do it yourself? And I have a lot of people come to me, mate. Oh, this, this is the thing. A lot of people think you can't afford it just because you don't have a high income. Th- think of the opportunity cost. If you, if you went out there and tried to do it yourself, even if you were able to do it for a six twenty or something, but you didn't want to spend the money on a buyer's agent, but the buyer's agent could do it for you for five sixty or even five eighty. You know mm-hmm. th- that opportunity cost of the money that you're missing from their connections. That's I guess that's where I, I see the the real value add. Uh, in the service i'm on board with you i mean i have arguments with well maybe not arguments (laughs) but i have discussions with people to talk about you know why why what i do and what i charge is too expensive and then explain the benefits and it's you know sometimes it's a 10 times multiple but they're still just focused on the on that initial outlay it's a real sort of you know that that aversion to the upfront pain, no matter how good the the prize is at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah. <laughs> take us take us back to the Trident. So we've got the bread and butter properties, which is more sort of the cash flow and and I guess building the next deposit or the next launching pad. You've got those um, those sort of those development projects, or you know getting the 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 land under under market and and building and then you know revaling or or selling and having a little bit more capacity. What what was the other thing that I missed? So the bread and butters aren't actually the high cash flow deals. So the bread and butter properties are I'm talking like metro metro locations, maybe half an hour from a capital city, um, in good growth areas. But you're buying them in below market. Typically, we always look for deals we can force a little bit of value in as well. And the idea of that is it, well, sorry. And then they've also got they've got to be neutral to positive. I, I don't, I'm a very, I'm very against negative, um, you know, cash flows as, as you can really tell from my, my first deal. So I'm always looking for those things that are at least neutral, um, neutrally geared. 
And the idea of, of buying these bread and butters is, and, and this is the beauty of it, you can continually recycle that initial deposit. So a lot of people get stuck because they go and buy something and they pay market value for it, right? But if you go out and buy it, let's call it 10 to 15% below market, which is we always aim for 15 to 20%. But let's even just say you're 10 to 15% below market. You force value through a cosmetic renovation. And then let's say in, you know, kind of three to six months, you refinance out that increased value, you know, and the the margin you've made by buying it below and then and then value adding on it. You can continually recycle that out. And, and I think that's the thing. It's, it's actually quite easy and quite quick to build the foundation portfolio and and you know so, so typically what we look to do is is to buy four of four properties like that in, in, a, in a location you know close to, close to capital cities or, or areas that we believe are going through uh, a very near-term growth phase so you're positioned in that market for the incoming growth and then that's when we step away and and so that that's the foundation right they're the bread and butter properties that go on the foundation and then we're going off doing the small developments um you know your wholesale buy and builds um, small subdivisions duplexes and then the third tier is like the third prong um is is the high cash flow deals so right. um they're well, again duplexes dual occupancies uh, house and granny flats uh unit blocks so uh, multiple dwellings on one title and then also commercial property as well yeah. Okay. So yeah, I guess what I was thinking of is the bread and butter were also the high cash flow, but yeah. not necessarily. They they might be more beneficial from a from an upside capital growth potential because yeah. they're in sort of like a a sleeping market. Yep. But you're still probably talking, you know, neutrally geared anyway. But then the other the other end of the properties are the the high cash flow deals, which might look a little bit different to the bread and butter properties if they're duplexes or unit blocks and that sort of thing. Yeah, they are. It's look it, to tell you the truth, mate. For, from from all the stuff I've done over the years, to me, it's the most. Uh, it, it, the, the other two are the accelerator strategies. Your foundation is, is always there. It's always going to keep ticking over for you. But the other two are what will accelerate your portfolio to, to another level. And that's that's where a lot of people get stuck. They build, you know, try and build as many um, bread and butters as you can, you know, but, but you, you will get maxed out at a point because you'll, you'll either one, run out of capital or two, more than likely you run out of the cash flow. Um, and that, that's the biggest thing because the banks, you know, the banks are the things that are going to max you out the most. So that, that's the thing you always have to keep, you know, keep a very, very close eye on. When you so, you, so you've obviously got to the point where you've got um, a portfolio that's enabled you to, I guess, re- retire, as you say, and start your own business. You could have ridden off into the sunset <laughs> with as many uh, Liverpool jerseys as, as you could, could clutch in your, in your, in your rabbity arms. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what possessed you to, to start your buyer's agency? Um, look, to tell you the truth, I had a really bad experience. Um, I think this would have been about back in, I think it was maybe the back end of 2016, 2017. I, I had a guy growing up that I was, I was a ma- like he, he was my idol, man. I was a massive fan of this guy. Um, and I kind of went to him when I think, yeah, I think I had six properties in the portfolio. And I went to him and I pretty much just said, look, mate, I just, I just kind of want your, um, he's, he's another buyer's agent as well. And I just kind of went to him and said, look, mate, I just kind of want your advice here. What do you think I should do going forward? Um, you know, you think I'm on the right path. Essentially just, just cut me down, man. Just said how bad my portfolio was. Said like, what are you doing, man? These things aren't even below market. Mate, most of the stuff I'd bought at the time was like 20% below market, you know, a few thousand dollars a year positive cash flow. And I, like looking back now, I, I was doing pretty well, but it was his way of, of selling me to use him as a buyer's agent. So I ended up signing up to him and, uh, and, uh, 
paid you know his, his fee was up front it was 10, 10 grand up front man and um six months later he hadn't brought me a property worthy of me even looking at like they were terrible and i think like in the end i called him and just tell him to sh- you know sh- you know shove it and uh it was kind of a nice way of how i put it <laughs> and um yeah. you know i kind of it burnt me for a while i kind of sat there for six months i didn't do anything for six months i didn't go out by myself i wasn't sure what to do I was, I was kind of i guess hurt by the experience and that's when it kind of formulated in my mind i need to do something different um this was actually after the duplex deal. So I knew I was doing all right. And I was like, I need to do something different here. And I wasn't really enjoying still working uh, with the family business. And the old boy had been trying to push me into actually real estate sales um, for a long time. But I, I don't know, I, I kind of didn't, I kind of liked the idea of it, but not massively, but I love buying property and mm-hmm. I love building a strategy around that and, and how people can kind of keep moving forward. And I think it just kind of kept kept percolating in my mind that that's, that's what I should do. I should go out and do this for other people and, and help people not get burnt like I got burnt. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Don't get mad, get even. <laughs> That's it, mate. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a, some advice you can give us, you know, based on your experience there, if we can sort of learn from that, then there's one positive from it. Can you give us an insight into some of the, the sort of predatory behaviors of the spruikers that we should look out for like maybe some red flags if we're looking at using a, a buyer's agent or we're, we're looking at deals direct from a, a developer or a real estate agent or yeah. something like that um look crunching numbers um that that's kind of the biggest thing i can cast like i guess that's if someone's already presenting you a property but if you're going to um actually engage someone's services like that see i went in with with rose colored glasses man honestly it's the biggest mistake i've ever made you know I guess in my life financially um and like I guess um yeah like I think research the person don't just kind of fall in love with with the with the idea of it or, or even just have a look at what they're fo- fo- sorry man I'm getting a little lost here <laughs> there's, no, kind of, right. there's kind of two big things I'd kind of consider is are they how are they charging their their fees are they are they all of it up front in one hit because that's kind of the big thing. If they're charging everything up front in one hit, um, you've got to ask the question why, because they've obviously got no confidence that they're going to kind of get it through on the back end and uh, deliver for you so that you kind of sign out the fee on the back end. And that's one of the things that I think um, like I'm quite proud of. I, I charge quite a minimal upfront fee because I'm very confident in what I can deliver for my clients. And I don't want to put them in the same position that I put myself in, where if someone's not actually happy, they can still walk away you know, and it's, it's not costing them anything. Um, Look, I guess the other the other big thing is if you're taking advice from someone, um, what what have they done? You know, what's their have have they achieved what you want to achieve? And in this case, you know, this this guy had this guy, you know, he, he was he was my idol because he'd done exceptionally well. Um, but I guess you <laughs> you combine that with the first one, and if I'd known those two kind of things, I probably would have questioned a little bit harder. Um, mm. but I, I guess that's the only the only two things I can really think in terms of a developer. I, I wouldn't be buying stock direct from a developer. Like, it's kind of as simple as that. Um, you know, they're building. You're paying for their margin, uh, unless you know 100% you're buying it for a wholesale price. I, I wouldn't go and buy something from a um, from a developer. Full stop. Let's have a look at your case studies that you share. Just in talking about sort of crunching the numbers, I, I, I came across one the other day. It was a property. I think sub sub um, 200 something like. 155 oh, yeah, yep, yep, price market value 175 10k reno updated market value 200 with a, a positive cash flow yep. i mean th- these numbers sound crazy 
Um, and I, I guess for some people, they would be, be critical of, of these types of properties. At, at that sort of price point, there must be something wrong with it. They're not going to be blue chip. It's risky. It must be regional. And, and there's, there's a lot of, I, I guess, marketing around these numbers. Certainly, there seems to be a, a, a lot of buyers agents that are sort of saying, you know, I've got X amount of properties or I've built you know, 10 in 10 years or yep. five in five years or a hundred in a hundred years. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that and, and how real these numbers are and, and what sort of quality of property are we talking at, at those sorts of low um, yeah, price points? Yeah, for sure, mate. Look, that, that deal, um, I have a lot of young investors coming to me that have kind of, they're starting in the same position that I started in and they're kind of saying to me, look, I don't have heaps of capital. What can you put me in? And look, that deal, mate, that, that's that's 100% real deal. Like we did that one. That was um, was $155,000. It was about, I think about 25 minutes from the Adelaide CBD, mate. So this isn't regional. This is this is a, uh, in a metro location, the vacancy rate in this area is about 0.5%. Um, wow. Rents have been trending up for the past um, two two years. Like I've had my finger on this pulse. I've been investing personally in this in this area for that long. And look, you know, that that deal just came to me through, through an agent, um, um, you know, off market and pretty much said, look, we need this thing signed today. I had a young couple that only had, I think that like they had a very, very small amount. Like you can get into these deals with $20,000 saved and in a few months you can refinance out your capital and put it into another deal like that. And after they, they did that deal, I think it added about, uh, it was about $45 per week positive cash flow just one deal to a young investing couple that, that had, you know, were coming from a standing start. They were in their early twenties and they were on very low wages. And this is what I'm talking about with these, mate, that's a foundation property, uh, you know, a, a bread and butter to, to add into the foundation portfolio. You can build four or five of them, um, you know, quite easily in a very, very short amount of time, you know, four or five of those, you're kind of, you're at about a million dollar property value, uh, sorry, portfolio value. You've built equity into it by doing a value add and buying it below market. And if each one's, you know, even if it was 40 bucks a week positive cash flow, you got five and that's 200 bucks a week additional income. The banks look so much more favorably on stuff like that than, uh, you know, something's negatively geared worth twice as much. And you can afford, you know, you can afford that thing. The average low income owner can afford something like that. But this is the thing, like that's, that's just one deal, mate. Like there's, like I've done everything from deals from, you know, that, that cheap all the way through to, million dollar, you know, you know, small developments, million dollars with, uh, you know, 30% ROIs on them. Uh, yeah. You know, making, you know, 300 K on deals like that. It's, it's kind of, it all depends what the client wants and what they can afford. Cause not everyone yep. can afford to go out and buy a half million investment. Oh yeah. Blue chip and all the rest of it, but they can't afford it. They can't afford it. You have to start at that, at where you can start, I guess, like build what you can build. And obviously, you can still get good deals at that price point. You're definitely, saying. definitely, man. Yeah, I mean, it's still. I mean, Adelaide's going. You know, a lot of people are talking about Adelaide at the moment, and that has seen even since then. That has seen growth on top of that. So, you know, it's not, a lot of people bag out these these, um, you know, cheaper price properties. And I did seven years ago. I refused to buy Mount Druitt because I grew up. I went to school in Western Sydney, and I knew Mount Druitt as the dumps. If you bought ten units at one hundred and fifty grand, they'd all be worth over three hundred grand now. You know, and that's. Mm that's the simple fact of it. Like <laughs> they, they still grow when the, when the entire market grows, they still grow. The demand there's strong. The vacancy rates are tight. You know, it's, it's a good, um, good foundation to build on stuff like that for people who don't have a lot of money. Just thinking about the, the investor that you, you mentioned that, that purchased this deal. Um, 
obviously they they probably busted their backside to get to a point where they could buy something. Yeah. the The average investor still only has has one property, and I, and I don't say only to say that that you know that's not a, a great achievement, yeah. but it's unlikely to get them to the point where they've got the financial freedom to quit their job or or do whatever they like. Do Do you think it's because people bust their backside to buy something, and the first one is actually normally a, a negatively geared property that really sort of puts a, a, a stunt in their potential growth of the portfolio and maybe turns them off property altogether. Yeah, man, look, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head there. This is this is kind of where people uh, refuse to do the not not so much refuse to do it, but think they can do it themselves. Um, and that's that's where sometimes it's just worth leveraging other people's um, I guess expertise and experience because like you think about it, you get stuck there on that one property and you, you own that for 10 years and it does nothing for you. Well, even if it doubles, right? All right. Fantastic. Like you, you doubled that deal, but what if you could have bought it 10% below market, refinanced out your initial capital and went and, you know, did that three or four times. And then those three or four properties all doubled. Like I think people, people get a little bit stuck, um, because there's no strategy behind it. It's I'll go and buy a property and, Pray essentially, like it's, it's, it's. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of strategy behind it, um, and that's where for us, that's why we we like the foundation. You know, build those foundation and then go accelerate it because it's it's constantly moving. You're constantly building on it, and I think I think that's how you don't get stuck by continually evolving your strategy and adapting it where you need to adapt it. Yeah, and and talking about leveraging experience, this is another issue I wanted to to bring up with yourself, and maybe we can put this into the chin music category again. <laughs> Um, buyers agents seem to be coming out of the woodwork at the moment, and and I and I'm I'm sure it's a very difficult time for investors to to navigate, you know, who the good operators are because there are some people that are great at the marketing. Now I don't know if they're actually proficient at what they do or not. I haven't been a client, but I can look at the marketing and say, look, that that speaks to me pretty well. But obviously, you don't have to have a good back end to have good marketing. Do do you think that there is a, a bit of an a difference in the methodology of some of the the older, more established BAs, or are there, are there some good up and coming guns that are that are entering the industry? And and how do we how do we sort the wheat from the chaff? <laughs> There's a pretty simple way, in my opinion. Um, I guess it goes back to what I was saying before about how, how do you kind of spot someone that that's that's the real deal? Have they done what you want to do? And there's some of the, this is where it, like, that's one part of it, right? Because there's some people that have, but they've been investing for 40 years. And if their idea is to go and buy one negatively geared property for 800 grand and wait for it to grow in 10 years and then reinvest that, like, you're going to be waiting a long time. You're right. But they may be extremely successful investors. And I take my hat off to them for being in the market so long. And I have a lot of respect for people like that. But then... Conversely, you know, it, it all depends on what you can afford to do and, and, and how quickly you want to grow. That is not going to happen for you quickly. So I think you need to have a look at what someone's done and if that is what you want to do, then I believe that's someone to go and inquire with and talk to and then, um, and then learn their business processes and what it is they do. And, and that's probably then where you start asking about the free fee structures and asking and then if they're charging more than you think is appropriate up front, you've got to ask the question, why? Because, mate, the reason I charge a low fee up front is because I, I know, like I'm very confident on what I can deliver for my clients. And like I said, I don't want to put anyone in a position that I got put into um, where, you know, you have to walk away from such a large sum of money because they couldn't deliver what they said they could. And I think I think that's where it comes in. 
you know, what are the ethics of the company and how do they operate? And then what have they done? Make sure they've done what you want to do. Don't go like, a, like I'm sorry, I don't mean it's like sound condescending. Here. Don't, don't go and invest with someone that's just started a buyer's agents company because they think it's a good business idea. Like, because they haven't hit the roadblocks in their portfolio yet that you're going to, like you're going to be the test dummy. Don't be the yeah. test dummy for some company. Like make sure you're investing with someone that's done what you want to do because, because you know, they, they will have hit those roadblocks. I didn't, I didn't mean to make that sound condescending. I, I just, it's, there's some people out there that have done um, really good things. You know, I'm not the only one that's built a really, you know, a, quite a, quite a good portfolio in a short amount of time. There's a lot of people out there have done it as well. I guess that's, that's what to look for. You know, the, the people that have, they've done what you want to do. That's the easiest way to put it, I guess. No, I think it's. I think what you said is completely reasonable and and fair, and um, that that advice goes to a, a lot of different areas of of yeah, life. Um, you look to someone who's who's where you would like to be, and you know, learn from their mistakes. Yeah, um, and, and and speaking of um, mistakes, or, or or even some of the wins along the way, are, are there properties that you wish you'd bought four of, or yeah. or you know, properties that you you know you, you wish you'd passed in? Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, in terms of passed in, not so much because I've learned I've learned something from every deal that I've done. Um, you know, the only property I wasn't hugely happy with, in, which is just purely from a cash flow perspective, was was the Wollongong unit. But you know, it grew two hundred and fifty thousand in a little over seven years. You, you can't really complain on that side of things for such a small, inv- um, you know, a reasonably priced price investment. The things I probably would have done more of early on um, was the uh, initial buy and build that I did, uh, you know, I made quite good money on that early on, and the cash flows on it were really solid as well. And I, I wish I'd kind of gone out, yeah, and as you say, done maybe three or four more of them. Uh, but I've kind of gone into a more evolved part of my strategy now as well. And you know, I'm kind of on the back end, like um, some of my clients already are as well. And we're kind of going purely for now the manufactured equity deals and the and the you know these the small developments and these high cash flow deals. So the last deal that I, I just closed out on was a uh, was a unit block. Um, and and it was five units on one title, and the cat like I'm gonna I'm gonna individually title them, uh, do a, do a cosmetic renovation on each one, and I'll be able to pull out all the capital I put into the deal. So essentially, I have no money in the deal once this thing's finished off, and uh, and it's actually positive cash flow to the tune of about I think that one's about fourteen grand. Um, so like that's just you know that's just a ridiculous. I love doing deals like that, and that's the stuff. It's it's they're very very hard to find. You have to have contacts in the right areas um, to find these sorts of deals, and like they're the deals, they're they're the top end. You know, they're they're the trident, man. That's that's those that's that's where you start winning. That's where you start smashing um, smashing goals when you start doing deals like that. And you know, I'm I'm kind of honoured and privileged that I can that I can help people do those sort of deals as well because it's man, you see people's faces light up when you show them that numbers like that, and you know this is what we can do, and it's. It's uh, it's pretty like I I feel a lot of uh, gratitude to be able to help people on that level as well. Quite That's humble. nice. I, I like that. There's something about your sort of country sensibility <laughs> that has enabled you to stay a nice person while being successful. <laughs> Thanks, now, I'm from the country as well. I I think I stopped being a nice person maybe years ago. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say the same thing. Age, <laughs> <laughs> Let's um, I- ignoring some of the the leveraging and the access that. The, uh, to the deals that you've got if, we, if we're just sort of saying look tomorrow you wake up and nobody's heard of you and and none of the phone calls that you make have, have got any pull anymore Let, let's talk talk about 
what you would consider an A-grade, A-grade investment property. Can you give us an insight into what you are looking for when it comes to the areas of investing, uh, the, the type of property, what, what the numbers would be looking like yep. from a, you know, you mentioned sort of vacancy rates and, and, and maybe um, yields, that sort, of thing, that, that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. So look, where we're kind of investing primarily at the moment, in terms of an A-grade property for me, um, like the back end of the Trident formula, you know, your, your small developments and your, and your high cash flow deals, they're kind of on a different level, um, kind of completely, you know, the, when we're talking about um, what I would look for now, A-grade, I'd probably be talking about my bread and butters because that's that's how you have to build your foundations. And so I'd be looking at, like where we're buying at the moment is, um, you know, pretty, pretty simply, mate, we, we, we're quite heavily in Brizzy and Adelaide. Um, we see some really, really strong opportunities in there. And it's just kind of case by case dependent on each individual investor by their budget and their borrowing capacity will depend on what we go out and source for them. But pretty much, mate, A-grade investment is we're looking at least 15% below market on every deal at the moment. Um, and we're getting that. And uh, in very tight vacancy rate areas. So they say a balanced vacancy rate is 3%. I've never bought anything in a market over 2%. I prefer markets sub 1%. So then I know that when I buy it, if it's not already tenanted, if I've bought it, you know, for my client, I know that by the time settlement rolls around, they've got a tenant in there. Um, yeah. And that's the biggest thing, mate, is always managing those cash flows. And, and you know, on, on top of that, um, I always like a little value add piece in there as well. Um, so, you know, even if it's a little cosmetic reno or down the line, we can chuck a granny flat on and, and kind of boost, you know, let's call it, we're, uh, like, just, just okay, I'll, I'll do a case study on a deal I did last week. Um, it... I think the gross rental return was either 7.4 or 7.5% on a house, 25 kilometers from Brizzy CBD. We can chuck a granny flat out the back um, and the gross rental return bumps up to about nine, I think it's about 9.4%. Now deals like that, they don't just come around all the time, you know, um, there, there are a finite amount of those kind of around, but that's, that's what we source. You know, you, you kind of want those little bit of an X factor on, on deals. You know, we can do those little bit of value adds and stuff like that, but it, it doesn't matter as long as you're adding in these, you know, as you say, they kind of, that's my version of an A grade property. These, these bread and butters, I don't just kind of go out and, oh yeah, I think that market's going to grow. So I'll buy something for 300 grand to go out and, you know, walk into a real estate agent. What do you got for 300 grand? It's got to have those elements. It's got to, it's got to be below market. You have to add a little bit of value to it and it has to have strong maintainable cash flows. Beautiful. I think we can work with that. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, I thought you just started with that and left it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we could have saved forty nine minutes. Um, no, it's all been good stuff. Sorry, it's all been good stuff. Um, what about your thoughts on the market at the moment? I know the market is is a is a strange way to describe yeah. um, the whole country, but but maybe maybe from uh, I guess if we talk about the market, we, we're often sort of talking about the sort of Sydney's and Melbournes of Australia. What what are your expectations for the property market at large for the next few years? And and feel free to to drill down into the Brisbane's and Adelaide's if you like. Yeah, look, I, I personally am quite excited. Um, I think all this talk of a recession is, mate, I, I love it. it. There's so many people sitting on the sidelines. I put a post up on um, on uh, my, my social media page for my business this morning. It's, uh, you know, be, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. Because at the moment, I cannot believe how many people are sitting on the sidelines and not buying. And it's, I, I think people are going to look back in a few years and wish they'd bought now. Um because I honestly believe once this talk of recession is over, you know, whether or not it does come, I, I honestly believe there's some really strong growth in, in the markets ahead. I think you have to buy carefully and buy well. I think even in terms of Brizzy, there's some there's some really uh, oversupplied markets and there's a lot of 
there's a lot of parts of Brizzy that people are hyping up and I've gone and been on the ground there and talked to a lot of people and seen what's in the pipeline with council for what's proposed in those areas. And some of the land releases, mate, are, are like it would blow your mind. Some of the, some of the amounts of dwellings that are kind of coming to, uh, you know, that will be completed in the next few years. So it's steering clear of areas like that. Um, but but honestly, mate, I, I'm quite excited. Um, you know, I think we're buying quite heavily in those two capitals because in certain areas we see some very strong um, growth indicators in, in those in those markets. Uh, and I, mate, I'm confident. I, I've been I've been um, positioning myself and clients strongly. And that's the thing. I'm not just positioning clients. Like I've been buying, you know, investing quite heavily as well. Uh, I, I honestly think it's a great time in the market to be buying. I wouldn't be sitting on the sidelines. Uh, at all there you go if there's one bit of advice i don't want to ruin the the punchline on the end but that could be it um how do people get in touch with yourself sam if they want to have a chat and 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 also maybe second part of that's that question if someone does want to work with you how, how does the process normally begin what sort of conversations do you have yeah so look people can look me up on uh i have on my website is uh, Dot com.au there's actually a little booking form on there you can you can schedule uh it's, look it's a complimentary strategy session i love talking with mate, anyone i love hearing where people are from and what what they want to achieve and seeing if i can help them um so look you can that's probably the easiest way booking a little call with me or you can you can email in just a little questionnaire thing as well um there's also social media channels uh, on both facebook and instagram it's just australian property scout and uh yeah mate look in, in terms of an initial initial kind of strategy it's you know, and how I operate, it's, it's, it's sitting down with people, you know, getting them on the phone, you know, to start with and, and just saying kind of, where is it that you're aiming to get? Because that is the most important thing. With, with real estate, you have to start with the end in mind. If you don't, you will go out and you will get capped out somewhere. You know, it, it's either going to be, you're either going to run out of capital or you're going to run out of borrowing capacity. It's going to be one or the other. So you have to start with the end in mind. And I'm talking a dollar figure because for most people, it's a passive income target, right? So most, yep. yeah, most people come, you know, they want 100, 150 grand passive and it's, it's building it from there back in terms of uh, how many years they want until they want to achieve that. And it's just showing them also what's realistic. And then, um, you know, you can work out from there how big a foundation portfolio you need to build with how many bread and butters and then what parts we would look at then implementing uh, the Trident formula and adding what different parts in uh, when to make sure you're not, yeah, as I say, running out of different things too soon. Beautiful. And um, we're going to do some videos down the track as well. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. And if you've got any questions for Sam to 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 grill him on, um, the grillier the better. Um, <laughs> get in deep, guys. Get in deep. <laughs> send them through. Um, Sam, Time flies when you're having fun. So we're, we're up to the last part, yeah. um, sadly, which is if, if you can impart one piece of advice uh, to property investors, what would that be? Um, look, probably, it's probably, the, you know, I guess it's probably going back to that punchline you were saying before. It's get started as soon as you can. You know, if, if you don't really know what um, what you're doing, or where, where you're going or, or um, you know, you don't have the end target. Honestly, for one, reach out to me if you want to, and let's have a chat. But it's it's getting started as soon as you can, um, and getting clear on what it is you want to do. And look, it, it's quite easy if you are spending too much and you don't know how to how to save. It's it's coming back to that thing. You either need to save more, or go get a second job and just save that save that second job. You know, just grow it away, and you'll be surprised how quickly that will build to available capital and and trust me it's it's delayed gratification mate like it's the same thing with a super it's going back to that it's people get these things in their mind i want this now 
delay it for a couple of years because I guarantee you, you'll be able to buy the stuff you really want. You'll be able to buy that with cash when you build your portfolio to, to a significant amount. And it doesn't, it honestly doesn't take as long as, as what a lot of people think. It's, it's, it's very achievable when you implement the right strategies. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing all your wisdom today, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Mike, thanks very much, mate. It's been great being here. Cheers.